0: So what I'd like you to do is turn to someone near enough that can hear you and say, you might learn something new this time, okay? Tell them that, please. (laughs) All right, it's possible. (laughs) It's possible. You might learn something new. And that's the goal. And you you know what? In preparing this series, and it's one of the bonuses, you'll hear preachers say this a lot, one of the bonuses of preparing it is, I always learn something new, and I thought I knew this series, in fact, or this this uh, parable from Matthew 13, it starts off with the parable of sower, and it's so good just to be able to say it in English and not wait for a translator. The last time I did this was in northern uh, a country that I serve in. I'm not going to be as open this week because we're online. But in that country, we're in the rural rice fields, and I thought, oh, they all plant in their fields. I'll do the parable of the sower. And we spent, and the idea of the birds snatching the seed, so I, they have these scarecrows out there, and I said, you know how you have to scare away the birds, or they'll snatch it? And it took us seven minutes to get that phrase out, because what I didn't realize, there was three dialects. It was double translation, And there was three words for scarecrow, and they were arguing over which one was the best one to use. That's some of the challenges of just trying to bring the Bible in another culture and another language. So uh, I don't know if there's a Leamington accent or not, but I'm sure we'll not have any of those hurdles today. Let's just have a little prayer. Jesus, help us to learn something new, open our hearts to be fresh, because we would never be so arrogant to think we have digested everything that's in these simple word pictures. We know there's hidden treasures. If you agree with that, you're allowed to say amen. amen. Oh, that was good amen. Um, you, I've told you this before. You know, you know the bonus of saying amen? You see, I'm actually, I've actually served in the Pentecostal church, so... And I've done a lot of preaching in Africa and Caribbean. And there they preach the sermon with you. You know, I mean, I've been preaching. Some guys like stand up. That's it. You just keep it up. (laughs) Right in the middle of the sermon. It's okay, I will, in fact, if you'll sit down. (laughs) But when you say amen out loud, then I know you've heard me. And I go on to the next point. And if you say nothing, I just think you haven't heard me. So I tend to repeat myself and repeat myself. Okay. So my next point is <laughs> is verse 44. I want I want to talk to you about hidden treasure before we get into this cuz Jesus says some pretty powerful things before he'll even tell people about the meaning of these seed and weed pictures. He encases it in a parable. And for us, parables are so religious and biblical and Sunday school. But this was a brand new way. Think about the hearers. This was not the way rabbis taught their people. It was far more instructive. Get out the scroll. This is what it says. This is what happened. So this was, it's kind of called inductive learning. But this was a brand new method. And so his disciples are like, what are you doing? I thought you were here to, you know... Explain things to us, and why are you, you know, talking in riddles? And then he pulled them aside, and let's look at Matthew 13, and let's look what he's saying here. Uh, I'm just going to dive in. At uh, first, I got to find it. I'm going to dive in at verse 16. He says, "Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear." For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Sometimes, when you haven't had to seek for something, we need to learn how to appreciate what's right there in front of us. Like going to those countries in Asia that I go to, having to keep my mouth completely shut in the shower in case some water goes in my mouth and then I'll be sick for sure. (laughs) Having to rinse my mouth with mouthwash every time even the outside of my face gets wet. Just making sure nothing goes in the inside. Coming home and I stick my head under the kitchen sink and drink from the tap every time. And my wife says, why do you always drink from the tap? I said, because I can. (laughs) It's just the sign of freedom. I can drink from anything that, you know, is is uh, pouring water out. And so I don't appreciate it until I go and see how much of the world lives. And Jesus was trying to get his disciples to realize, guys, what I'm about to tell you is stuff that the prophets you read about longed for for years. They knew there was something more and they 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 weren't allowed to know and they longed for it. So I just want you to appreciate it. So let's talk about hidden treasure, because in fact, he, uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom being like hidden treasure, where a man finds it in a field, and then covers it up and buys the whole field. So this idea of hidden treasure, <clears throat> as opposed to something right out there in front of you, it's like, it, it, it's, it's very human, isn't it, to want to seek that. Now, If I was to tell you the name Forrest Fenn, would anybody know Forrest Fenn, F-E-N-N, just died uh, during COVID in 2020? Maybe not, but for a lot of people, especially on the internet, he's a well-known person. He died in his 80s, I believe, upper 80s. He was a retired fighter pilot in the U.S. Army and then became an art dealer. He retired in the 80s. And none of that is important or why he's famous. But why he's famous is because he got cancer in the 80s and thought he was going to die. So he thought, what do I want to leave behind? So he put everything in a treasure box and hid it in the Rocky Mountains. But in the box, he happened to put a million dollars worth of gold, just so people would want to look for it. So he hid over a million dollars in a treasure chest, put it in the Rocky Mountains somewhere, and wrote a poem. And in the poem were the hints to where it was. Now, at some point, he made it easier by saying, it's somewhere in Montana, Wyoming, or New Mexico. (laughs) That narrows it down. (laughs) I'll stop riding the subway in New York. And so he... He put it in the poem, and this nobody could find it. Five people died try to find it, trying to find it. People have spent a fortune trying to find the fortune, and some people have become obsessed with this. But it's just that idea that there's hidden treasure. What is there? I know it's valuable, but what else is there? So a young man in his early 30s found it a few years ago. And um, wouldn't tell anyone where he found it, because that was part of the thing. But he said the the way he found it was not so much answering riddles, but meeting. He had gone to meet the, uh, the man who had hidden the treasure and got to know him. And he said, now I know how he thinks and what's important to him and where he would likely do that. Once he understood the person, then the poem made sense. And he found it, and now we want a happy ending, but now there's like 10 lawsuits because people said, you stole the riddle from me and it's my treasure. Ah, oh, don't you love the U.S.? There's a lawsuit for everything that happens. And uh, so that idea of hidden treasure, Jesus literally, and I'm going to read it for you, in verse 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, sorry." Next page. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I know a little bit about pearls, because I've sold tens of thousands of dollars worth of pearls, that I have brought back from the countries that I serve, and brought them here and sold them much below market value. Uh, And 100% of the profits went to missions, and to help the poor. So, I have inspected pearls, and learned a little bit about what makes a pearl valuable and what doesn't. And of course, the pearls that come from oysters when you dive are much more valuable, if they're round and all of that, it makes a difference. Some are cheap, some are very expensive. But Jesus saying, there are certain kinds of people who see something and understand its value. And they're willing to give up a lot to get it. Now I hope I'm getting you a little hungry for the word of God today. Because Jesus says to his disciples, I'm sharing with you something that's been hidden. Now if you go to, you don't have to go there, but Colossians 1.26 says that the mysteries that Paul is preaching were hidden by God for ages and generations. Generations means human history. Ages means time before there were even people. For ages and generations, God kept a secret. And at the right time, Christ came and died for the ungodly. That's you and me, by the way. And then the mystery that is now made known, Paul says through the saints. He says, I'm a steward of this. And he says, I yearn with all the energies that so powerfully works in me to bring everyone to maturity because I'm a steward of this precious, precious secret and this mystery of the gospel. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ are hidden all. In Christ are hidden all the treasures, wisdom, and knowledge. To understand how this world works, how we relate to it, and how this invisible, invisible kingdom is, is slowly saturating the world. These are the secrets, and that's what you need to know more than anything, or else your life will frustrate you. You'll be saying, why is this happening, God? Why isn't that happening? And, and you tried, I tried to do this, and this didn't work, and we'll have ourselves so wrapped up on trying to, whether it's succeed at good things, good works, none of that's going to bring the pleasure and the peace that understanding what the kingdom is like And how it relates to you. So, we're going to start with this super simple analogy that Jesus uses. And we're going to just drill down in that today. And then next week is going to be a lot of fun as we're going to talk about muffins. Okay. Next week we're going to talk about how the kingdom of God is like a muffin. And... For those who, I'm actually going to bring some to the service, all right? But today we're going to talk about seeds. Seeds and weeds, yeast, hidden treasure, and a net. These are the main images that Jesus uses. So let's talk about seeds for a moment, just in general. Let me see if I've got this here. Uh, Oh yeah, and the end goal is, once you understand it, it says that you'll become a wise steward of these treasures. So let's move on. How do seeds work? How many people here work some in some way in the agricultural industry, growing things? I see that hand. Is there another? <laughs> Not as many as I would have thought. Okay, but we all get it. We all understand about seeds. But let's think about it for a moment. A seed is a miracle. And this this little... Thing it can be. Some seeds are like a mustard seed. Uh, some seeds are even smaller than a mustard seed, uh, not much bigger than a particle of dust. Others are big spores or big containers with, with like burrs on them that are like this big. But regardless of the size, the idea is this: somehow, inside the seed, inside the covering, inside the food that's in there to keep the seed from dying. Down in there is a miniature version of a life-giving plant that can grow under the right conditions. It has every part of it already in there. And all it needs is the right conditions of humidity, sunlight, and contact with the earth. And it begins a transformation where it becomes a million times its original size. 10,000 times its original size. A seed never gets smaller. (laughs) Such an obvious thing, but think about what that means. Because we're going to talk about what the seed is in a moment. A seed always gets bigger. A seed has everything it needs to create more seeds and to multiply itself. And someone who sows a seed is far more concerned about what they're holding in their hand than their own skill set. So let's look at the first parable there for a moment. A farmer, verse 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Pardon me. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, a sixty, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Don't you love that? He who has ears, let him hear. So the seed... We, we know the, the meaning of this parable because that is uh, in verse 18 to 23. And it says, the seed is the message of the kingdom. The seed is the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom. We would call it the gospel gospel. But Jesus was very specific. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel sometimes has been reduced to this little phrase, you know, Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for your sins and minds." Absolutely true. The, the, it's unique amongst all world religions. The religions that I've come in contact with in all my travels There is not another religion that has a story that parallels that. Where God himself does the paying of the price to bring us into relationship with him. Every other religion has a version of you do religious acts and good works and deny yourself certain things and you get closer to whoever, whatever God is. Every religion has that, and we have almost the opposite. I mean, we do those things, but not to get there. We do that to become closer, but he is the one who's crossed the bridge, come over to us. And that's fantastic, and sometimes it becomes so normal that we yawn when we hear, that. oh, here we go again. But it's sometimes good to be outside our culture and outside a churched area and see how phenomenal that seed is in its power. And this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying that uh, uh, he was saying that this uh, this gospel, this message, is something so important by its nature. So precious in its meaning, so powerful in its effect, that it's like a hidden treasure. And it's worth selling all to know it. To know that. But not just to know that Jesus did that, because he's talking about the kingdom. What did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of heaven? Well, a kingdom is everywhere a king rules. There has to be a king, there has to be a territory, and there has to be subjects. Or else you don't have a kingdom. And so Jesus is talking about the eventual, inevitable rule by himself (coughs) over the entire earth. Now there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and he will reign. If you go back to Isaiah and the other prophecies, it says like the rock cut out without human hands begun begins to rule over the nations. He will literally rule over the nations with his scepter of righteousness. and many of us, some who are sitting in this room, will have privileged positions in that rulership. Uh, we will all be part of the kingdom, But when the gifts are given out, and when the rewards are revealed, and when everything is balanced, the books are balanced, and the suffering is taken away, and the hidden works are revealed, and the sin is wiped out, the whole thing's going to have a big reshuffle. And we're going to be so surprised at who has positions of authority and influence. I think we're going to be very surprised. But that's the kingdom, and it's over there, far away in our minds, but Jesus' idea was this, the kingdom is actually infiltrating the earth. We're not just waiting for a rescue event. Uh, We used to call it, I don't know, you know, how many folks here know the term rapture, but the idea that the church is going to go up and be in heaven, and uh, we've really loved the pre-tribulation rapture theology, because That gets us out of here. There's some that believe in the uh, uh, post-tribulation rapture, and there's some that believe in the mid-tribulation rapture. All I know is this, is uh, I can just imagine there's three of them. And Jesus comes and says, Hello, everyone, this is the pre-tribulation rapture. All aboard for everyone who's believed in a pre-trib. I'll be back in three and a half years to get those who believe in a mid-trib. I believe all the post-trib would change your theology right away don't know, but I know when he comes, I'm going. When he comes, I'm going. My concern is back when I was a young adult, there was so much emphasis upon this. And I read all the books starting with the late great planet Earth. And there's a lot of truth in it. But there's something in that that really appeals to us. It's a beam me up Scotty (laughs) idea. You know, I'm on this crazy planet and if I get in trouble, beam me up, Scotty, back up to the ship, the mothership. And that's not what Jesus was preaching. He said, when you pray, you should pray with authority and say, your kingdom come. Not me go, <laughs> kingdom come is the emphasis. And so Jesus is saying, till I come back. I've given you authority based on the purchase price of the cross where you can bring the rule and the reign of Jesus into other lives. Sick bodies can be healed. You know that still happens today? It doesn't happen every time. And people are afraid to pray for the sick because they don't get healed every time. I'm saying, well, do you stop sharing the gospel because they might not become a Christian? We share in the hopes that today or next time they will. We pray in the belief that God can and that he wants to. And we don't let that stop us. And so he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, uh, cast out demons. Wow. Just like your regular church service. Maybe not. (laughs) Amen. We believe and hope for And thank God we don't have a lot of demon-possessed people in our culture. But I have encountered that once when I was preaching. Where someone started to crawl up to the front of the the room while I was preaching. Making some pretty weird noises. And uh, I discerned at that moment it might be demonic. (laughs) And uh, uh, we were able to see Jesus take care of that right there. And so the power that's in you has power over all of that, whatever spiritual opposition there is. And Jesus says, pray that it would come and then understand the power of the seed of the gospel in your life. Once you, as as Colossians says, all over this world, the gospel is growing and bearing fruit just as it did in you from the first day you heard it and understood God's grace. When the seed is watered by the Holy Spirit, and you go, oh, it's by grace. That's the germination moment, where the seed starts to grow. And of course, any young seed can be trampled. We put seed on our front lawn this spring, as I normally do. But this spring, for the first time, we have a dog. So, don't let the dog walk there. Don't let the dog do that there. (laughs) And because all those little seeds are coming up, you know? And uh, once it germinates, Jesus says, you just never know what the end product's gonna be. You never know how far that's gonna do in the change of lives, but it's the gospel watered by the Holy Spirit that germinates with the illumination. Of God's grace. I don't have to earn this. I'm accepted. I'm born again. I'm part of his family. He loves me. He would have done it just for me if there was no one else. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Now I want to to be like a child of God. I I want to represent my new family better. I want to grow to be like Jesus. And when that happens, amen, when that happens in you, uh, the gospel is growing, and you never know where it's going to result. Um, when my first mission trip was to China in 1988, and back then in Beijing, Beijing was an airport, you know, about, about uh, if you've been to the Buffalo Airport, uh, it was about that size, about three times the size of the Hamilton Airport. It was not big, even though it was the main city. People didn't fly into communist China, and it had recently opened. And half the people in Beijing were still wearing Mao suits. So we went in early, and we were with some people who had been living there, and it was a fantastic story how, how we were able to bring the gospel. We went to the furthest inland city in the world, a 72-hour train ride from Beijing, and um, oh, can I tell you something? It was so funny. 72 hours, and we were without our hosts. They just put us on a train and said bye bye. You, you know, somebody will be at the other end. And they had mixed up our seats so that we actually didn't have seats for the first 24 hours. So we kind of had to stand. And sit. I was sitting on a watermelon at one point. <laughs> and we ordered the wrong food. And the train food—it didn't matter. It made us sick. And then you had to go to the place where there's a hole in the floor and you could see the tracks going by. And that was a certain room. And it's, and then we got out at one point when it stopped and pinyin is English letters for Chinese. So it said, Ulumuchi to Beijing. But you know the word in between, when they put it in pinyin, it was P-U-K-E. So I had myself looking terrible with my... My, you know, hadn't washed or showered, been sick, standing in front of it, and it said, Wulamuchi, puke, Beijing. And I said, there was my trip, right there in a picture. <laughs> so that's not even my point, but I couldn't, couldn't resist. Don't get to tell that story often. But we, we taught 250 students English as a second language, and we had a way to avoid our hosts and take the students into the park and share the gospel and to sit with Zhang Xiaochuan, a young student, and for her to say, Miss Abone, I know there's three great religions in the world. These are her words. Buddhism, Islam, and... (laughs) From the kingdom of darkness to light. That's my story. (laughs) And Christianity. Miss Abone, tell me the difference. I mean, this is the first time I visited with this person. Hungry. Tell me the difference. Two hours later, she looks at me and she goes, ah, now I understand. And I thought, I'm literally on the other side of the earth with this young uh, student who had good English. And I'm the first one to put that seed in her hand. And she just took it and said, now I know. I've always wanted to know. And to see someone value it to that extent, I'll never forget it. That was 1988. 1988. Now, we had, four, had six students uh, come to the Lord in that six-week uh, six trip. We had four, of, four or five of them get baptized in the bathtub secretly. And 27 years later, I got an email Hi, this is Scarlett, her English name. They all took on English names as well as their Chinese name. Hi, this is Scarlett. I wanted you to know. She, through a third party, she found out this and that, so she got my email. I, Emma, my father was a Communist Party um, leader, but we found the gospel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm okay without those. It doesn't matter. I can see you better uh, either way. Uh, Whatever works, guys. And um, we found the gospel when you were there. I emigrated to Australia. I graduated from Bible college. I'm walking with Jesus ever since. Hallelujah. You know? Yeah. And you just go, wow. You put a seed in somebody's hand and it's snatched out the next moment, and they never really understand. I've been working with my next-door neighbor who's mad at God because he has had some tragedies. I've been working with him for 14 years. And, you know, one day I was home on a Sunday, and he knows I'm a priest, because that's all he knows. He knows you're a priest. He's from another country, and he has some Catholicism. And he looked at me one day, he says, How come you're home on Sunday? You should be out priesting. I said, sorry, I'm not priesting today. How about I do some priesting with you? Then he was caught. So, But I've been trying to sow the gospel in there for years and with limited effect. There, are, there was a moment where it sprang up like the rocky soil, but he's rejected it since. But I, I'm not given up. I'm not giving up. He put them beside me for some reason, and I'm still going to work at it. But then to see someone grab it for the first time and have a changed life. I told you this last week. There have been two or three people that I know in the country I work where the first time they read the Gospel of John, they don't even get through and they say, This is it, I want it. And their lives are never the same. I think it's fantastic. And I, I'm really, my goal today is just that we would all leave here with a fresh reverence, excitement. And awe at the power of this message, when it gets into the soil of a human heart and gets watered by the presence and the Spirit of God, it can change. It can break the cycle of addiction. It can break generational family patterns. It can turn your thinking around. It can it can cure depression. I know some sources of depression are physical, but sometimes it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It can Bring changes in your life that nothing else can. It brings the rule and the reign of Jesus. Some little thing that was invisible becomes visible and fruit-bearing and attractive to other people. Oh, I'm preaching myself happy here today. (laughs) I want you to know that reaping always follows sowing. There is no farmer that laments in October that the field is bare if he failed to sow in the spring. There is no farmer in the world that would complain to others if the field does not produce a harvest, if nothing was sown. And yet we have churches who are hoping more people will come hoping that things will get better, hoping that things will change. But we haven't sown the message. And we need to sow the message. And there's different ways. Jesus says a sower went out to scatter. Literally the word original word is broadcast. Just to broadcast and we do that on the radio, right? Just broadcast. There's a person I know, and I can't say much more, but in a in one of the most restricted nations on earth, and that would be North Korea, he sends the gospel in balloons, hides out, checks the weather pattern three or four times a year, the wind is in the right place, and puts gospel messages in electronic media and print media into Helium-filled balloons that go out and land in that nation. And the soldiers race to pick them up because they want to read them. <laughs> They're sent out to, sc- to gather them and burn them. But there's been multiple situations where they've come to the Lord because that seed was dropped out of the sky in a balloon. <laughs> so Jesus says, go scatter it because you just never know what kind of soil there is. You could look at this parable and say, well, you've only got a 25% success rate, and even then it's percentages, because you got one out of four is good soil. But that's, that's kind of the opposite way to look at it. The way to look at it is this is so precious and life-changing that if even 25% of people respond, hallelujah, because Jesus said that was good. There's another way we can, we can do that. So we can have programs, we can have outreach, we can have TV, we preach. We're online. There's a, uh, we're, we're discovering that. There's a church where I've been coaching the pastor up in northern Ontario. And during COVID, they went online because they had to. And they were a little church and they'd never done this before. And he called me one day and he says, I want some coaching. I said, why? He says, I have to hire staff. I said, why? He says, we're getting more people saved now online than we've ever had. And I need a discipleship pastor. And I thought, well, good for you. He says, one of them's in Windsor. I don't know what to do with them. Hey, maybe we should find out who that is. This is northern Ontario. We're talking, you know, North Bay and farther. And, and here people in Windsor will tune on because it's a lot easier to tune on, you know, when you're sitting there with your jammies and a coffee. You, you know, you can go online because you are going to watch videos anyways today, right? That's enough cat videos. Now how about this? Oh, it's church service. That's a lot easier than getting them to come in the building. My point is, the word's going out, it's being broadcast, and there's a harvest time. There's another way we can do it. And I'm going to wrap it up soon, but one way is... uh, We have a dog now that has hair that grows instead of fur. I had some dogs growing up, but they all had fur. You just had to brush them. But this thing has hair, so you have to take it and get its hair cut. (laughs) And the first time we did... The thing came back, she'd used a blow dryer on it, was wearing this thing around, like this bow around its neck, and I said, are you kidding me? Like, what is this, some foo-foo thing, you know? Like, I'm not an eight-year-old girl, give me a dog, not a stuffed toy. And they're like, okay, sir, okay, sir. In fact, yesterday, I was, I can't believe this, what people do with their dogs now, Okay? One guy my age takes it around in the store because he wants to be able to take his dog in stores even when they don't. So he has like a little baby carriage the size of a doll carriage, and it's covered. It's got a plastic thing, and the dog's in there. He's pushing it around like it's a guy my age, right? I'm like, wow. I gave up playing with dolls a long time ago, but I'm just making fun, okay? I just like, I just, a dog in a carriage. Um, Don't you take your dog for a walk? But the one that topped it off is I was at my sister's cutting her grass and down the laneway comes somebody with the sunroof open and a big golden doodle, Um, uh, you know, not a small dog, had its head out of the sunroof and had ski goggles on. (laughs) Hair going, the dog was obviously enjoying it. As the car went by with the dog in the goggles, and my sister looks, she says, yeah, that dog's around. She says, she actually paints his nails, too. <laughs> I just, I can't go there. One more. Because <laughs> of this new dog, right? I go to the store to buy it some food, so I read. Well, I should find out what's in the dog food. So the package says, this food is specially Formulated to help your dog meet the challenges of modern day life <laughs> just like you do. I kid you not. So I went home and I sat down with the dog and said, do you need a counselor? Are you meeting the challenges of modern? I'm sorry that you were born in such a time. I wish you could have been born last century when we would have put you in a doghouse and fed you a bone now I have to make sure it's organic and it's, you know, whatever. And the point is, as soon as you feed your dog that, he'll go out and eat some grass to wash it down, right? So that's really not part of the point, but uh, the point is my dog gets burrs caught in it now because we have to give it a summer haircut. And the other day, my wife was... Full of the grace of God, because I came home with the dog, not thinking, oh, let's chase that bunny, let's go in that bramble bush, you know. Anyways, the dog came home, it was just a matted mess. But the reason is, those seeds are designed to be sticky. And that's how they get around, and that's how they go from place to place. And and the seed that you carry can be sticky, in a good way. So, my son... Uh, works in the film industry, and he had, to, uh, he had a job assignment where he had to follow someone around with a camera, and they went over, like, four states in the U.S., and they were driving here and there, filming this and that, and I don't want to get into what it is, but it was a week of this. And he just flew home from Dallas uh, the other day, came to her house, and he said, he said to me, he said, Dad, we had an amazing thing happen. He said, in the last day, one of the guys said to me, he said, you're the best advertisement for a Christian. He says, I'm reconsidering now. I'm reconsidering. He said, I I never have met a Christian like you. And I said, well, what did you do, Mark? He said, Dad, I have this way I do it now because I work in the secular industry and he just won an award for something and he's always dropping in these little gospel seeds. He says, what I do is when the topic comes up, I'll just say, yeah, you know, I was praying about that the other day. And I feel that this is what I'm going to do. He says, I drop these little seeds. He says, in the context of their life, their interests, their needs. And, uh, you know, uh, so he gave examples. And he said, by the time I'm done, he says, he didn't use this word, but I'm going to. It's stuck now. Those thoughts and those ideas that I could pray about that. That God's interested in something like that. It's stuck on this person's soul. It's in their mind. And who knows when that's going to bear fruit? Who knows when that's going to bear fruit? So instead of rubbing somebody's fur the wrong way, just stick them with a gospel burr, okay? (laughs) Let's plant the seed that God's given us. I'd like the uh, worship team to come back up. We're going to have lots of time to, to develop this theme next week. We talk about the kingdom of heaven is like a muffin. It's my paraphrase. You'll see why. Imagine being a farmer and having a silo full of clean seed and never taking it out. And then, 10 years later, wondering why God hasn't provided. Be ridiculous you know that even in the sowing of the seed, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added. There's a beautiful personal benefit to all of this as we prioritize distributing this wonderful message that God has given us, this hidden treasure. As we prioritize that, somehow God arranges it through the people we meet and the things we do we get a blessing back, even sometimes very physical. It's really remarkable how how that blessing returns in various forms. Because God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that also shall he reap. It says in Galatians 6-7, uh, I think. Now that's a bit of a twist on that, on the actual meaning there, but it applies in the sense that as we prioritize sowing, it's God that gives the increase. Don't worry about the immediate result. No one that sows physical seed puts it in the backyard. It's like my wife yesterday did the, uh, did the uh, spring uh, vegetables. You know, I'm going to go home there today and go, come on, come on. Come on, guys, that was a lot of work. Come on, get going, get up. Give me some tomatoes. Give me some beans. You know, exhortation uh, doesn't, doesn't do it. What happens is the supernatural power that God's put in that seed, just by coming in contact with humidity and sunlight and soil, just something happens. As one of the other parables says, and it grows all by itself. There's supernatural power that's... Encased in that message. Literally, the nature and the spiritual DNA of the kingdom. And everyone deserves to have that. Everyone deserves to know. And that's what keeps me going because everyone, everyone deserves to know. And I want you to stand with me now and let's just close our eyes for a moment. You don't have to do this, but you can hold out your hands in a receiving posture if you want. I never want anyone to feel forced that you're you're told do this, do that. But there's just something about the physical getting our the physical posture of our bodies lined up with what we're saying to God. Sometimes we kneel to pray, sometimes we clasp our hands and it's it's really a Just bringing our body into alignment with what our soul is saying or what our mind is saying. And right now we're saying, Lord, our hands are open. Our hearts are open. Would you place again within our hands the gospel seed, the message of the kingdom, that there's help and hope. Father, forgive me, Terry Bone, forgive me for being afraid to pray for people sometimes because... There might not be the right result. Forgive me for for dishonoring the power that you've placed in the message. Forgive me for that, Lord. Help me to remember it's your job to grow it. It's your job to change. It's your job to bring results. But you've given me the seed to scatter. Help me to be a sower. Your word says you give bread, you give food to the sower. Not the saver, the sower. Help me to spread the love and the message of the gospel. So, Lord, I just ask that you deliver all of us from fear, the fear of embarrassment, and that you give us a passion and remind us how much it honors you. And finally, we recall those words where you've said, Lord, if we are ashamed of you in front of men you'll be ashamed of us in front of the Father. But if we speak of you in front of people, you will actually talk to the Father about us. And so, Lord, we see how important it is that we, as your representatives, open our mouths to tell the word. Give us that boldness and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to the, the worship team. Um, do you want them to stay standing or seated? Standing is Standings good. good. Okay, now we got...